Welcome to the Word on a Hill. My name is Father Peter. Hello. <laughs> you were listening to Country 101. <laughs> Father Peter Muscle. <laughs> you had a nice little twang. Did I have a little, yeah, little twang? A little down home. Did you know why? Podcast. Because I've been in Napa. That's not <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I dude. Think. I got a little California twang in there. A little dude. California, a little Northern California twang. That's what everyone thinks of when they think of Northern California. Is, is, a little is, bit of a drawl. Is a drawl. Well, oh, my goodness. Um, you guys, welcome to the podcast. It's uh, any of you uh, listening in from. Uh, from the Napa Institute. That's well, awesome. I'm not sure. You should go I... home because it's over. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still there. If you're still there. Then... Well, if you're still there, then good for you because it means you have the means to have a nice vacation. Amen to that's that. That's kind of cool. I... Hey, we are the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky guys. This is the Word on the Hill. I'm right. Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Muzzet. Do you th- do you ever think we should change our name? Other people do. <laughs> 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 that was a good response. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Maybe mean, we should talk about that. There was, I think I was reading a comment on the iTunes. Oh, no. Some people saying that we should change our name. That was Pretty like a, it was like a it was a homeschool mom. I, I just think. don't know how lanky we both are collectively anymore. Dude, the former the artists formerly known as the, <laughs> the lanky, lanky guys. <laughs> I think we should change our to name to an do. emoji. Oh jeez. All right. <laughs> Does uh, it speak to what we do? I don't who know. we are. You know, oh, and what we do. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. You guys, um, if you guys have a thought on this, please contact us oh boy. and let us know. Oh, boy. <laughs> Saddle up. We're going into the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. All right. Here we go. I yeah. guess we're going into it. Um, our first reading is from the Jeremiah, the 23, the 1, 2, 6. It's, everything is from 23s this week. Is that right? Or oh, just Psalm the 23, two? Psalm 23, Ephesians 2, 1, 3. Ephesians 2, 1, 3. And, and then, then Mark 6, Three, three, four. If no. you array, if you subtract six from thirty, no, you don't get no. it. Doesn't, I, th- I like that by by doing that. I just announced every all of the. Readings. Oh man! Well, I'm going to do it again. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 23, which, if you don't know any other psalms, you know this one. Everybody, right? Knows everybody this knows this one. Uh, you ask him what's your favorite psalm? Psalm, psalm 20. 23, the funeral psalm, marriage psalm, funeral psalm, funeral. Yeah. Uh, verses one through three, four, th- one through three, three through four. Five and six, and the response itself is coming from one because that's the memorable line. Yep, and then we're in Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter two, verses thirteen to eighteen, and then Mark is our gospel, chapter six, verses thirty through thirty-four. A shorty today, dude. I gotta say, it's really nice being back in the basement with you it's here. It's been uh, oh, it's been two weeks. It's been two weeks, and you were gone. Yeah, off in, uh, off in wine country. I, I feel like I've been traveling like a ton, which I actually have been traveling. Do you a know ton? why you feel that way? Why? Because you were literally surrounded by luggage. <laughs> <laughs> Father Peter has a wall, a wall of luggage behind him I, so, on display. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, how it's that's like why you, you feel like you're. Tra- <laughs> no, but you really been, have been traveling a lot this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. You, more you, than normal. More than more than normal. Yeah, yeah I mean that's it, it's good, man. I even got a an explorer card so that I could get miles. Wow. Because I'm realizing that like wow that like. But my, then you got to pick an airline and stick to it. That's yeah. the thing about miles. I know. I mean, I usually fly Southwest, but I'm I'm afraid to commit because what if I want to fly Delta one day? I know. And I'm like, oh man, but I have miles over here. It's hard for me. I can understand. Yeah. Um, we miss you up at Camp Wetiwa. We uh, I want to convey on behalf of the whole staff of Camp Wetiwa, everybody wants you to come up and visit. Okay. And I want to give a shout out both to Camp Wetiwa because they're phenomenal, and we're finishing up. We're starting our last series of programs this week, and so. If you're listening, pray for our high school guys who are on property and the two backpacking trips. Uh, but I also want to give a shout out to Connor Sheehan, 
um, who I meant to shout out a few weeks ago, and I was reminded that maybe I forgot. I still don't think I did forget. I think I did shout him out. <laughs> but in case I didn't, Connor, who's actually flown in from the East Coast to help us out for a couple weeks, which is awesome. He's a stud. So Connor, and I know he's a faithful listener, which, um, Connor, we don't deserve you. So here's a shout out to you. All right. That's all I got. Awesome. Dude, this is like, I feel like these readings this week should be like, um, like it's almost like Good Shepherd Sunday. It's all like shepherding. But it's not, sh- there is a Good Shepherd Sunday, isn't there? I there is a Good Shepherd Sunday. But this isn't it. Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. I um, So reading through these readings, I was genuinely surprised when I got to the gospel. Because it's kind of setting you up in a certain way, right? And then I right. get to the gospel, I'm like, that is not the gospel I expected to find. I had, there was at least three floating in my head of what I anticipated would be waiting for me there. Right. And none of them were. And so it, it actually, for, and I don't know what insights you got, but it really forced me to kind of think about what is going on there. Mm. And I have a thought, uh, an interesting one, at least what I think is interesting about why the gospel is there and what the gospel is trying to communicate about the rest of the readings. So cool. We'll get there soon. Yeah, yeah. But for now, let's talk about Jeremiah. Yeah. Dude, this is where I'm I'm feeling I like I have some insights later. Okay. But I don't have much for Jeremiah. I uh was was going through kind of the historical circumstances of Jeremiah. Okay. And when I was going through it this morning, it all fit with something, but now I kind of forget what that was. So I'm just gonna start talking for a few minutes and see what comes out. <laughs> is that cool with that, you? That sounds like most of the homiletic method um <laughs> that I employ during the week. That's how we both work. Teaching <laughs> homilies, all of it. Okay, so here's here's what's going. We've talked about Jeremiah before, right? He's a prophet, he's gloom and doom, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and Judea. But his historical circumstances are actually really interesting. And I think they kind of speak to what's what's going on here. Yep, making, yep. He's making gestures for it. Um, Jeremiah begins, his story is a series, his book is a series of oracles, mainly judgment oracles, basically saying, hey, you guys stink and here's how you're going to be punished, right? Mainly to the southern kingdom, Judah and Jerusalem, but also to some other nations as well. But the historical circumstances are really interesting. So he receives his prophetic call. So the last few weeks we've talked about the call of lots of the prophets, right? Yeah. Um, Jeremiah's call comes during the reign of a guy named King Josiah. Do you remember King Josiah? No. What he's famous for? King Josiah... He's significant because he is one of the only holy kings, good, righteous, upright kings of this period. Mm. And Josiah, he, he's really famous. And by the way, of all of the oracles that show up in this book, only one of them actually shows up in the time of Josiah, which tells you that you didn't need as much warning during his time. So Josiah's story is kind of cool. He was um, he was king. He was a young king. He was righteous. He was faithful. And he was doing renovations on the temple building because it had been kind of beat up by the Assyrians who came in and, and tried to tried to take over. And in their renovation process, they discover, surprise, surprise, the book of Deuteronomy, which apparently they hadn't been following. And Got he it. was the one who was like, oh, shoot, we should have been doing all this stuff. Right. This so is, they, that's like a paradigm for like, yes, for, for so much of what we like we talk about because because yes. out of when they find the book yeah. the, when they find the law when they find this then they actually have a sense oh this is how we messed up yes absolutely right and so he commands it to be proclaimed and handwritten and copied and so everybody ought to know this so that we can come back we need to repent which literally means to turn around we're heading down the wrong road and yep. so this is a bright this is probably one of the brightest periods in Israel's history this young righteous king that is well he he um he gets um, cut down in the prime of his life by the Egyptians, by King Nico in the 600s. Nico. Um, on the plains of Megiddo, 
which in Hebrew is Har Megiddo. So a young, righteous, 30-something king is cut down in the prime of his life by enemies on Har Megiddo. So that, that's a different Armageddon. Armageddon. No, well, but dude, that's, none of that is really what I want to get to. Well, dude, this is the thing is that like... Is is that in Kings? Is that when that is? It's in, I believe so. Uh, First Kings, I think. I think. Yeah, because um, yes, um, First Kings twenty two. Is that right? Is that where it is? Well, let's see. First Kings. Um, well, because this is the thing: is that today we actually end up in First Kings. With the scripture reference, you mean today? Today, when we're recording this? No, podcast. no, 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 no. Today, nope. today is in the scriptures. We end up in First Kings in the reference that we have from uh, from Jesus. Do we? Yeah, this is a. This Ooh, is this is abs- interesting. Okay, because it says, "All right, all right, all right." Um, he so he went off. Um, uh, then when uh, Jesus disembarked and saw the vast crowd, he was heart. He was moved with pity for them. For the, they were like sheep without a shepherd, shepherd yeah. which is First Kings, and it says, uh, mm. and and it's a conversation between Micah okay. and uh, the king of Israel, and then the king right. of Judah. Oh, and does it say who they are at the time? Uh, so we have Jehoshaphat and Aram. So, uh, okay. gosh, uh, Ahab. Oh, Ahab was not good. So this is pretty. Er- this is a lot earlier than Josiah's time, but still. Right. So this is Jehoshaphat and a- Ahab. Ahab. Yeah. And and this is Micah. Micah says this: I see all Israel scattered on the mountains like a sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord Ooh. saying, "These have no master. Let each of them go back home in peace." Interesting. Isn't that isn't because because that's the response of because they're trying to go do a retreat so basically well, you're getting ahead of us you're, oh but you're, I'm gonna I'm, jumping, ju- I'm jumping I'm jumping all right I'm too you, excited. You, you hold your horses I'm, I'm I'm holding them hold your sheep <laughs> okay so Josiah right right Josiah, Josiah um none of which is really what I want to talk about but right after Josiah Josiah has two lousy sons right named Jehoiakim and Zedekiah okay and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah stink and they're terrible kings and they do not father in their follow in their father's footsteps they mislead the people. So the first thing we need to know is in the ancient world in general, in Israel in particular, kings were often called shepherds. They were just referred to that way. So this is not some unprecedented, you know, talking about the shepherds. Kings were just called shepherds. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad. But the thing that's interesting about this period, so again, you had this righteous king, righteous shepherd, two very unrighteous shepherds. But what's happening in the in the, the world, geopolitical world, Assyria, remember, they wiped out the northern kingdom. They tried to wipe out the southern kingdom, which is what causes them to discover Deuteronomy hidden in the temple. Um, they Assyria loses power, right? They begin to kind of fade out of power on the geopolitical uh, scene. And the two superpowers who are vying to kind of take over the world are now Egypt and Babylon. And they're the two kind of up... Well, Egypt's been around for a long time, but Babylon is rising up. And what you have, what Jehoiakim and Zedekiah do that they shouldn't have done, which again, this is what all of Jeremiah is focused on. Okay. They keep making alliances with Egypt. So the whole world is sitting wondering... Is, is who is going to be the next world leader? Is it going to be Egypt, like they were hundreds of years ago, or is it going to be this new upstart Babylon? And so Israel keeps saying, well, we got pretty beat up by the Assyrians. We didn't like that, so we should take refuge in Egypt. 
because they're safe and they are powerful and they are strong and they can protect us. So you have the shepherds of the people of God who keep trying to get their sheep to find refuge in Egypt. And if you're an Israelite, what does Egypt always represent? Slavery and oppression. Slavery and oppression. And so on, on the face of it, you're like, wait a second, the kings of Israel are turning to Egypt for help? The shepherds of Israel are leading their sheep back into this thing that is a symbol of slavery. So that's the spiritual problem. Because they should be trusting in God. They're not. They're trusting in political power. But the temporal, the the political problem is that Babylon ends up being way more powerful than Egypt. And Babylon looks at this and basically sees this as an act of treason. So not only spiritually are are they basically following the wrong horse, but politically, the Babylonians are like, what are you doing? Like They're the losers. And we're going to basically call you out for being treasonous and we will come and destroy you for it. And so spiritually, they should have followed God. Politically, they just picked the the wrong horse to back. And so this leads into all of Jerusalem and Judah basically being unraveled on a spiritual level because they should have put all of their trust in God. So when Jeremiah shows up and he says, woe to the shepherds who mislead and scatter the flock of my pasture, what he's saying is my shepherds have led their sheep back into slavery and look at the fruit that it's bearing. You had a father who showed you what to do. You had a righteous king who understood my words and actually shepherded, shepherded my people rightly. And you have turned your back and you've gone back into this place of unrest, which is kind of the theme that I want to pull back out later on, because Egypt was always understood as the place of unrest. Throughout the, the, the whole story of the Exodus, remember, as God is setting them free from Egypt, free from their slavery and leading them into the promised land throughout the Old Testament, the, old, the, the promised land is always understood to be the land of what? Of rest. That's always how it's described. I'm going to take you out of your slavery. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And I'm going to take you to a place of rest. And so now these kings are taking the people out of their rest and back into slavery. And God says, no, that is not going to happen. Well, it's going to happen for a little while, and I guess I'll allow it. But then there's going to come a time where I step in and I will be the shepherd because these shepherds aren't doing their job. So I will come and I will do it myself, which it's like an angry parent who's like, man, you can't figure this out. Fine. I'll just do it for you. Dude, God's not an angry parent. when When my mom is like, you know, you didn't clean your room and she starts cleaning your room. Ooh, you that's know, when you know it's bad. You know, you're like, oh, I yeah. have done. That's kind of what's going on. Right. But here's the thing. I mean, you know, you're reading this hindsight's 2020. But if you're reading this in the time of Jeremiah, you're like, is that a metaphor? What do you mean? God's going to be our shepherd. Like, OK, we'll just sort of follow God and he's going to lead us spiritually speaking. And, th- and that's true. But I don't think anybody understood how literal this was to be taken. No, no, no. God will take human flesh and be a shepherd who walks among his sheep and actually leads them. But uh, I wanted to set it up sort of why God needed to do this. And there's, there's obviously more. I mean, this has been a long history of idolatry and following after the wrong gods and putting their faith in everything but God. And God has finally said, fine, it's not just all of the people are in this trenched in this deep sin. It's that their leaders will not teach them. Their leaders will not lead them or rather their leaders are leading them, but they're leading them into death. They're leading them into slavery. And so I believe and I I love my sheep more than that. So I'll come and I'll do it myself, which is that's what Jeremiah is setting us up for. And what is he going to do? It's to lead them into a place of rest. And that's the one theme word I want to come back to in the gospel. Mm. 
Because mm. the promised land is the land of rest. They're in the land of rest, but the shepherds are leading them out of it. Okay. That takes us to the psalm. It does take us to the psalm. And uh, yeah, <sighs> and uh, I hope I didn't mislead people when I jumped in the middle of the... You didn't. You're good. Of the, uh, when you? I started to go forward into the gospel ideas, so... Are you trying to make a joke? No. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> Leading no. people. Oh, shepherding. shepherding. People okay. the, wrong. the Lord is my shepherd. No, you're There's good. nothing man. I shall want. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And um, he get. I mean, I really don't even know what to say about this. I mean, like, I know that it's good shepherding. I mean, like, <laughs> like the, we have the dark valley and we can kind of look at how Jeremiah was talking about it. And the dark valley is to go back into slavery and into bondage. And, yeah. and yet, like... The Lord, and he, for his name's sake, he actually wants to have his, he wants to glorify who he is, and he chose a people, and he's going to walk with them. I don't know. Totally. That's kind of, that's all I could kind of come up with out of it. Totally true. I mean, all of that is huge. Um, but again, to put a little bit of, of historical flesh, so to speak, on this, who's writing Psalm 23? David. And who is David? The shepherd of Israel. And what else is he? King of Israel. And what was he before? Shepherd. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking of just the imagery of this is really striking to me because mm. here's, let me see if I can put words to this because there's something, there's something deep here. So David was a shepherd. He was the youngest of his brothers, the one who, you know, when, uh, who it was Samuel, when Samuel goes to choose the new king of Israel, everyone's like, oh, it's from this family. And he was like, well, isn't it was, I, I love the story. It's like Cinderella. Remember? So Samuel's called by God. And God's like, Saul isn't working out. You need to go choose another king. It's going to be from this family, from these brothers. He goes to the family. They all sort of line up. And he's like, well, it's none of these guys. There's got to be somebody else, right? And there's like, like Cinderella up in the attic. They're like, oh like, yeah, well, there's, the, there's this one guy. Who we, live, we left him in the field. With the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, him. So that guy becomes, I mean, who... God prepared to be the spiritual shepherd by being a literal shepherd, right? Right. Which is the theme of the God. I mean, how did Mo? We talked about Exodus, right? How did God prepare Moses to lead his people out of Israel or out of Egypt by being a shepherd in Horeb for like forty years, right? Or however long Moses was shepherding. Right. That's how God loves to do this. He loves to choose shepherds because if you understand what shepherding is, then maybe you can translate that into leadership. Because that's what leaders are supposed to be. So here you have David, who is probably writing this, you know, he's not only experienced being a shepherd, he's not only experienced being chosen from the midst of all these people feeling unwanted, he's not only spent a lot of his life on the run from an evil shepherd named Saul, who tried to kill him at every turn and running through the wilderness, trying to escape certain death. What's the only way he made it out of the wilderness trying to escape certain death is because God was his shepherd. So imagine this not from just like, oh, this is a nice thing to say about God and how he leads us. But imagine that you have just been being chased by the quote unquote shepherd of your people for most of your life. And you had to rely on the God who you could not fully see who would shepherd you and leave you to, lead you to safety and protection from the guy who wants to kill you. And then imagine penning these words. I mean, the richness of not only being a shepherd, but then having the experience of being shepherded by God. And now in the light of that, being called to be the shepherd of the people. Mm. But he only understands, the beauty of the psalm is that David only understands what it means to be the shepherd of Israel because he understood how God shepherded him. Mm. It wasn't his own shepherding that prepared him for that. It was his running from Saul, I think that really to prepare him because then he was forced to realize, no, it's not just about my shepherding skills. I understand shepherding because I understood the God who shepherded me. 
that's the tool that I needed to prepare me to be the king. Hmm. So I, I think it's kind of a be- there's layers to this. It's a beautiful psalm. Yeah, but a- if you realize the context of it, you're like, oh, that's much more than it seems. Absolutely. It's beautiful. And there's a couple of layers to it, mm. which gets us into Ephesians. Which is where you've wanted to get us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, um, so, which by the way, is just beautiful. This section of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, mm. is like just awesome. Um, For he is our peace. He who made both one. Okay, who is who, who are we talking about? Both one. We're talking Jesus. about Jesus and his people, right? For he is our peace. He who made both one. Yeah, okay. And broke down. Well, well, yeah. He says, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have become near by the blood of Christ. Right. So I always think that, I I think you're right, it's his people, but who is his people? Those who were close and those who were far off. Right. They have all been made one. Absolutely. Okay. Now, here's the part that I was like, I was like, okay, broke down the dividing wall of enmity. Mm. And I was like, what is this dividing wall of enmity? Okay. Um, so I, I look in the, um, you look in the Greek and it's a really interesting thing. It says, um, uh, uh, one new man making peace. Um, okay. So it's the, the actual phrase is dividing wall of the partition. Dividing wall. Of, okay. So it's actually two different wall, two different words for a wall. What is the, the? It says this this wall of enmity. Wall of enmity. So the wall of wall of wall. Yeah, but the enmity is already stated elsewhere in the sentence. Interesting. So so what ends up happening huh. is I'm looking at this and I'm like, what are these two walls? And it's a hapaxlegomenon. Okay. I Hap- love hapaxlegomenons. Yeah, yeah. It's the only place that we ever see this take place. So that. It, yeah, I guess you did give. I was gonna ask yeah, yeah. You, yeah. the definition of an yeah. hapax legomenon. Hapax legomenon is when it's the <laughs> 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 when it's the only time in the scriptures that a word is used. Yeah, right. And so you say, "Whoa, okay." When you start to look into these two words, mm. what it's it, it's actually stating is that there's two walls. There's a partition, okay, and that the partition. So the second one of those words, okay, is talking is used for the same word that that Jesus used when uh, they they built a wine press, they 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 dug a wine press, built a tower, and put a, a hedge oh, around hedge around it. Yeah, that's a partition, which is Jeremiah chapter two, which is Jeremiah. Speaking of Jeremiah. Oh, see, there we go. Yeah. So, so we're talking about that. The other word that they use, and you just came from Napa, so that's fresh in your head. It's fresh in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I like those wine presses. <laughs> um, and then the other one actually implies an inner wall. Mm. So it, it's actually talking about the one who broke down the two walls. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, so we're saying like, okay, what right. are what are those two walls? Okay. And what I, are the two walls? Well, the, the, I think that there's a lot of actually beautiful beautiful mystery. I think that the first one that I'm seeing is the flesh of Jesus Christ. Okay. We have we have his body and his heart. Okay. We yeah, have yeah, we yeah. have um, we have Israel because see this is the thing that, that what is a shepherd? A shepherd is not somebody who's hanging out inside the city walls. No. A shepherd is... He shouldn't be, at least. Yeah, if he's shepherding a sheep in the city walls, those are some hungry sheep. Well, you, uh, I, I think you might be joking, but you have given the perfect description of what was wrong with the Old Testament kings. Tell me. They were supposed to be shepherding their people, but they were hanging out in the city with their riches and their castles and their wealth and all of their walls. And their sheep were, guess what? Hungry, like you just said. Right. 
So you have just articulated exactly the problem with those kings. See, this is, this is it. And so, so how does Jesus, he says, um, by the blood of Christ. That's why I see the very first thing is that his heart is pierced. The king. How do you? I don't, I, don't if, I don't know if I'm taking this too far. Let's do it. But the moment when Jesus, remember John, when he's, his side is pierced. Right. What happens? Blood well, his flesh water. is pierced. Right. Wall one. And then the spear has to penetrate the heart. Wall two. Right. There's that's, two walls that are penetrated when, maybe that's what you're saying. That's, that's just, exactly what I'm me, saying. The imagery of it hit me. Right. And then, and then out of that, what happens is the church. blood and water. So the expression of, of, of both the cleansing and the nourishment by, mm. by that. And that's, and then mm. he, and then he makes two and then the, and then establishing peace. And he reconciles in one body through the cross, putting the enmity to death. Putting Be- the enmity, so the wall is put to death. Right. In a certain sense. Exactly. Cause the wall is built up mm. that way because every government was, uh, you have two main things that a gov- every government in the world has to do. Okay. It has to um, protect its borders and its people. Okay. And provide for resources for its people. Okay. So it, it has to be able to create a, a thing that happens. And so when we're shepherding. Issue it's, parking it, tickets. We issue the third thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're absurd. Yeah. I love you. Nah. So th- that's where we see, okay, what does it look like to shepherd rightly? It mm. says, okay, we're actually, like there was a time in which though that outer wall was really essential. Oh, okay. No, the, no you, you keep going. You keep going. I'm good. Okay. What does it take to shepherd rightly? That's the question you just asked, yes, right? Yes, exactly. What was the answer? Um, d- defend and protect the borders and its people and provide resources. Okay. 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 Gospel. Okay. Let's move to the gospel. Because I got some stuff here. Oh, well, you got stuff. I got, got stuff. I got crazy stuff. Let's talk. Let's just keep going because I because I think that there's there's like a lot of things happening with this. I only see one. Okay, C- quite frankly. Um, so last week, it, it's funny the the liturgy has skipped over something for us, which I don't want to dwell on, but it's just worth noting. Death just, of John the Baptist. Yeah. So um, this is what we call a Markin sandwich. The technical term is an intercalation, but I like to call them Mark, Markin sandwiches. It's right? a lot so easier Mark, to remember a Mark sandwich. <laughs> but you sound fancier if you call it an intercalation. Yeah, dude. That, that's when you go to places like the, the Nap Institute, my... you want to call them intercalations. Exactly. Um, what about your bottom of your what? I have Shoe? intercalations on my feet. <laughs> you should see a podiatrist. <laughs> um, wait, what? Okay, well, let's, let's move on. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> you might, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, what now? Okay. So last week we had the sending out of the disciples two by two. Remember Jesus said, go out, don't take a bag or, a, or take your staff, take your shoes, but don't take an extra thing or the things or the stuff. Just trust me and with one. And go. Um, now this week we get them coming back. So you had the sending out, we have the coming back and smack in between, like you said, is this story about the death of John the Baptist. Right. Which um, seems to kind of come out of nowhere and just sort of seems dropped there, which on a spiritual level, what, what Jesus, what, what Mark is saying, what Jesus is saying through Mark, is that if you have the guts to go out and be a disciple, you might lose your head over it because there's consequences for true discipleship, Absolutely. for true shepherding. Yep. So that's a bit of a side note just to put us in context. But here's what I was struck by. So again, we're reading all these readings about shepherding and shepherds, and there was all sorts of things I was thinking that might show up in the gospel, mm-hmm. but not this. And so what it says is the apostles then, they came back, they gathered together with Jesus and he reported and they reported all that they had done and taught. 
which it's interesting that taught is added because remember when he sent them out, mm-hmm. he sent them out to have authority over demons, to have authority over unclean spirits, and to heal and and to proclaim the kingdom and to proclaim. But teaching actually wasn't one of the words that Jesus used. So we see sort of an addition. Mm. Like they're, I, I don't think they're doing something wrong, but they're they're sort of putting more flesh with it. So anyway, he said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a deserted place and what rest a while." What is rest? Well, in the biblical narrative, rest is always the symbol for the promised land, the place where we're, I mean, not to, not to make it too, not to read too much into it because there's just a practicality to the fact that they've been working really hard and they need a retreat and that's right. okay. And that's good. But here's what I'm struck, but, but you, you can't separate that from the imagery and the symbolism of the place of rest, which is the promised land. Right. Okay. So here's why I think that's significant. But it said, it said people were coming and going in great numbers. So they heard about this stuff. People are, are learning what the apostles are, what the disciples are teaching and doing. So people keep coming and they had no opportunity even to eat. So they went off in the boat by themselves to a deserted place. People saw them leaving and many came to know about it. They hastened on foot. They're like, we're going to beat them to the other side of the lake. So they go and everybody's there. The bottom line is they can't rest. Right. They are not able to find this place of rest. When he disembarked, he saw the vast crowd. His heart was moved with pity for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus began to teach them. But for me, the moral of the story that I was left with, not the moral, but the question I was left with, or that I thought was interesting, is that the disciples are not permitted to rest. Right. And I have more, well, but I'm going to pause because I, I see that I look in your eye. Dude, what this is the thing is that... So I get some more stuff. Is... is Okay, <coughs> neither were the people. Okay. The people couldn't rest, and the yeah. apostles couldn't rest. Okay. Everybody it was just surrounded by restlessness. profound restlessness. Okay. So he sees, and he says, okay, I see, I, he, he, he's moved with pity. Okay. Now, what's, what's interesting is that the word pity <coughs> is an absolutely weak translation of a very, very rich word. Okay. Um, it's Spangla Nimdamini. <laughs> it's a very long <laughs> Greek word. Okay. Um, and it's, it says to... Sounds like Nacham in Hebrew, which means to grieve deeply. Yeah. And so this is this thing. It says to have the bowels yearn. Ooh. That sounds it, painful. Yes. Yeah, so what's interesting? It's it's uh, it's from like the spleen, the intestines, the in and and but but this is the thing is is that it's saying it's we can define those things. Did they understand what the spleen and the intestines were? We I'm not sure their medical knowledge, but it's saying it's the inner person. So you look yep. and yeah, the, yeah. the use of this hmm. Old Testament wise, the same kind at the same root word is going to talk about the inner organs of the animals that were sacrificed for temple worship. Okay. So so in it, it's it's the full huh. inner experience of of uh, it's the, the full inner inners of the sacrifice. Exactly. Hmm. So what happens is that Jesus he says I I see them. I moved with compassion and mercy okay. in a full physical experience because they're like a sheep without a shepherd. We go back to kings. Okay. Now all of a sudden in in 1 Kings 22, hmm. we have Micah. He utters this prophecy. He says they're like a sheep like without a shepherd. Yeah. And the response is so send them all to their homes. Hmm. That's what the apostles do. He said they say he said like I feel like there's sheep without a shepherd and he says well let us send them home yeah. to all the places where they need to go yeah. which would be the is the biblical response because yeah, of right. Micah's prophecy and jesus right. says, jesus says no give it's them the old s- testament response right he says mm. give them something yourselves give this is that is that the same place no where you fe- oh, okay 
but later on he does. But later but, on, but this is the same thing. Yeah. So we're talking a synaptic, yeah, yeah, synoptic yeah. kind of cohesion mm. here. So, so what, so what ends up happening is that so in, in the in the prophecy of Micah we have uh, a, a, a uh, who did I mention earlier Ahab, Ahab and Jehoshaphat Ahab and Jehoshaphat well uh, he ends up prophesying and what happens is Micah the, Micah's in the north Micah's in right? the north yes and I he think. and he prophesies to Ahab and it, it's a big complicated thing yeah, yeah. but what ends up happening is he gets shot with an arrow and sacrificed on the field of battle and just his, like. And his heart is pierced Who and else? blood is everywhere. Who else does that happen to? Jesus. Josiah. Josiah. The trifecta. Oh my goodness. I'm not with an arrow, but he's yeah, yeah. shot down in the field of battle. Yeah, so it says it pierces his breastplate. Ooh, and that's And the blood of the really? king of Israel is poured out for the sheep that don't have really? a shepherd. So now we Ooh, see an inversion and a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah, okay. wh- whose Jesus has his double walls pierced, who's feeling it as this, uh, in the same place as the sacrifice of the animals in the temple. Okay. All that is right. However, Ooh. all that is right. But how do we get there? So here's what I'm struck by still. Yeah, yo. Um, two things. And you said something that illuminated something new for me. What we're left with, like, well, well, what we're given in this passage, like you pointed out, is this restlessness. Well, who's restless? The apostles are re- the disciples. Uh, it's probably not just the apostles. The disciples are restless and the people are restless. Those who are near and those who are far mm, off, right? right? The disciples who are near who are and those who are far off and those who are, are both restless. Right. They have no rest, which... In the biblical narrative, the big picture, it means they have no access to the promised land. And, and what do you have? So this is what, again, I want to put words to this. You have the disciples doing their job. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but it almost seems like they can't finish the job. Like they're doing it, but it's not, it's not. Ah, satisfying. It's not satisfying. Satisfying is not even the right word. There's just something, something that's not right yet. It's like, right? a, it's like a chord progression that doesn't actually complete. So take this, put it, put it in the, uh, yeah, yeah. Put it back in the lips of David. What gave David the ability, again, according to my little theory, what gives David the ability to be the shepherd of Israel? It was the fact that God shepherded him. Right. At this point in the narrative, Jesus is just beginning to shepherd his people. What has not happened yet? What has not happened yet is that Jesus' side and heart have not yet been pierced. What is the piercing of Jesus' side and his heart? Well, in the transfiguration, what Moses and Elijah tell us is that that is Jesus' exodus. The cross, the passion, is the exodus of Jesus, our new exodus, in which we, what, enter into the rest of the promised land. This is the moment in the Gospels where Jesus is slowly preparing the people who will later be the shepherds, but are not yet fully equipped to be the shepherds because they have not yet been fully shepherded by the God who will be pierced on their behalf, who will use that piercing to lead them out of slavery to a freedom, to a new place of rest, where they will then have the tools to go and shepherd the people in the Lord's stead. Right. Right. In his name. So God, as was predicted and foreshadowed and foretold, rather, in the first reading in Jeremiah, God will be their shepherd. And that's true. But that's not where it ends, because God will then equip all of his disciples, his apostles, to be 
his shepherds, not in their own right. You're not the shepherd of St. Thomas Aquinas because you're so great. You're the shepherd of St. Thomas Aquinas because you're attached to an archbishop who is attached to one of the apostles, who is attached to Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd, but he gives the tools and the ability and the shepherding to the rest to lead the people. But there is restlessness in Mark 6 because he has not fully given them the means to do it yet. Mm. And so what he's done in a certain sense is created this longing, the hunger, the sheep are getting hungry, but they don't have the means to be fed just yet. He will give them food that will be everlasting. But right now, what is he doing? He's wetting the appetites of the sheep. Mm. Both the disciples who will be shepherds, who are sheep at the moment, mm-hmm. and those who, those who are near and those who are far off are now all having their appetite wet for what, something more. And the feeding of the 5,000 is directly here. Is it directly it's, afterwards? It's, it's, I was wondering when I said that. It's, it's because they're, mm. ap- and this is the thing. And so, so what we're we really s- talking about a wedding of appetites. So what happens is that he, he says, okay, they're all restless. I'm going to show them mm. what shepherding in the in me looks like. Because now all of a sudden there's going to be Which is still not the fullness of it. No, but, but I'm going to give them a taste. We're going to give them a I'm taste. I'm going to give them an, an appetizer. So that we understand what the fullness of shepherding actually looks like to those who are near and to those who are far off. Right, and 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 yeah. actually, and have all of those, because the walls are now are broken down because we're going outward. Right. We're not just saying, let's come in. Well, because like, what's coming out of the heart of Jesus? Well, right. we've always said it's the church, the blood and water flowing out, but that is the church, which is coming out to the world from the side of the shepherd. I also see within this Jesus' replacement of the temple. And how the temple walls are broken open so that the, the heavenly temple can Heck be yeah. made manifest Heck in yeah. the body of Jesus Christ, in manifest within his church. Which is why it's not coincidental that the, the curtain of the temple, the inner veil, is ripped as Jesus is pierced. Absolutely. One temple is broken, the other temple is broken. And then we have the, the there's so many vivid it's images that just totally, because I think about the water flowing forth and mm-hmm. a thousand cubits from each side from the temple, right? which is now actually what we live. Absolutely. So. Oh, there's a lot in there, baby. Thank you, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Much love to you guys all. Um, Wow. That, they're, they're, I would suggest listening to this podcast again. Um, I might, I might have to. I might have to, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you guys. We love you. We will be back next week. Yep. And uh, be uh, listen to your shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Shepherd Boy RD. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys, at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.